Amen, church family. Let's continue to worship as we open the word together this morning. If you have your Bible, if you'll join me, we'll begin in Acts chapter 6 today, and we'll make our way through a few different passages of Scripture within the book of Acts in our time together. We've spent a considerable time this fall using the word together, kind of as a theme, as a call for us as a church and the work that we believe God's called us to, we tried to paint a, a broad and big picture as to why we believe God's word calls us together as a church. And then we've spent the past two weeks and we'll continue for today and one more um, asking the, the what question. So we believe the, the, the why that God has called us together. And so we want to consider again uh, for a new and fresh time in in the context of the Word of God, what God has called the New Testament church together to do. And today we will see how we are together. Uh, We've heard us talk about it this fall. We are together in prayer and the work of prayer. We live in a culture that doesn't really enjoy that four-letter word, do they? Work. It's hard to find, uh, for some, it's hard to find people to, to work these days. I'm sure you and your career and vocation see it and sense it in your own way. And, and as we think about uh, church and the life of the church, we do talk about working within the church. And, and oftentimes that working is uh, defined by or described by uh, serving or doing some particular aspect of of ministry or maybe even going on a particular mission trip and we're we're working for the Lord. And those are all good and and right things to do. Uh, however, if we look at the truth of scripture and we look at that four letter W word that word work, uh, what we see is a lot of the work of the New Testament church uh, wasn't just uh, kind of starting in prayer and then working and then ending in prayer. Like the whole picture of work in the New Testament church, uh, broadly seen, is given to the, the work of prayer. So our labor as a, as a church, uh, we should labor in prayer together. And our, our labor as a church, it's not uh, distant or distracted or even detached from our all-knowing or all-powerful God, right? It's, it's not what we do for him. Um, prayer is the means by which he works in us, through us, and, and for us. And so today what we want to consider is how we can join together in this, this work, this heavy, weighty, joyful work of prayer and how we at this moment, at this time, can be rooted in prayer and have access and communication and true meaningful dialogue with our all-knowing and all-powerful God. So that's our aim uh, together today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and seek his help. Lord Jesus, we we come and we come uh, desperate. Lord, we come uh, desiring to walk in your word. Uh, Lord Jesus, we come because your name is all that we need, Father. God, we come because you have turned the graves in our hearts into gardens of redemption and restoration and reconciliation, Father. And Father, we come and worship you, Father, because you are worthy of our worship. And Lord, it is your word that holds that together, God. It's your word that binds that together. And so, Father, our heart this morning as we come, and God, we desire to be filled. God, we desire to be changed, transformed, renewed today. 
by the truth that's found only in this word that's before us today. So God, teach us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's begin, uh, as we did last week, in, in, in returning to the early church and begin this journey of, of seeing the work of prayer by seeing the, the priority of, of praying together that we see in Scripture. We all, in our lives, we have lots of priorities. So for you, what is a, a priority in your life? How do you spend your, your time? How do you spend your, your talents? How do you spend your treasure? You see, your priorities, they're more than just an appointment on your calendar. Although we all enjoy a date day with our spouse, right? Or a date lunch with our spouse. But the relationship is so much more than just a a calendar event. Priorities for us are so much more than just a calendar event. They're a true posture of our hearts. And so for us as a church, we kind of have to enter into this equation, believing and knowing that the prayer is more than just a legalistic transaction where we swipe the debit card of our deepest need into the bank account of God's overflowing grace, right? Prayer for us is so much more than that. And I, I love the, the, the legacy of, of prayer, the, the history of, of prayer that is deeply ingrained within your DNA, our DNA as a church. I know many of you have participated in some of those emphasis in the past, whether that was a, a weekly Wednesday night prayer gathering, uh, signing up for a time in the prayer room, or, or being actively involved in some of the, the prayer triplets, or, or maybe even some of you were, were, were one of those that set an alarm on your phone at noon to, to pray for your uh, new incoming pastor. Right? You've all participated in, in ways um, that we have prayed together as a church. And, and for us, these are good and, and right things. And, 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 and we need to understand it's, it's right for us to celebrate them. But success in prayer is, is not determined by or defined by how long these things last, right? Your, your success in praying for your pastor didn't end when this pastor came and you turned your alarm off on your phone, or it, it didn't came when you had to change your, your schedule and not attend the, the prayer room anymore. Why? Because prayer is more of a posture of our heart than it is a, a program that we attend or go to or serve with. And we see this very clear in the context of Scripture. The New Testament church has always been, and a true faithful church will always be a church that prioritizes prayer. I want to begin with a relatively curious passage, but I think emphasizes and illustrates this beautifully. Acts chapter 6, I'll read the first four verses and then jump to the seventh verse. Those read, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and says, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Jump down to verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. 
This is a familiar text to most of you, probably, if you've grown up in the Baptist church around a, a deacon ordination service or a deacon installation service. But what we see here is the disciples were, were growing, and as a group grows, as a church grows, it is a very obvious and natural and right thing uh, for the needs within that church to grow. And so what they did is the, the leaders gathered together and said, hey, there's this balance here and we're getting out of, out of balance. We are called to the ministry of the word and to prayer. But, but this group of people, they have a real need, a real need that we need to meet, but we can only do so much. So let's broaden the leadership spectrum and, and, and appoint men that can go and, and serve and meet these particular needs. So we need faithful Christians to be devoted to this priority, is what they were saying, so that we can be devoted to the priority of the word and to prayer. So this is way, way more, way more than just a delegation strategy to get more done, although there's an element of that that's true. See, this is aligning the people of God with the call of God to serve the needs that the church had while protecting the priority of the word and prayer. And we see these words together, the ministry of the word and to the prayers. The way these are put together, it is very clearly two distinct priorities that are associated with the pastoral calling, I believe. And they each have their own definite article. You are called to the ministry of the word, and two, verse four said, prayer. And those are joined together by the conjunction and. So you have two very distinct things, two specific things, and yes, they fit together hand in hand. But we need to recognize there are two specific hands that are meeting together, that prayer and the ministry of the word fit together beautifully within the body of Christ. It's the picture for us on how we are to live. It's full devotion to prayer and ministry of the word. And so the way to to meet a need in a particular church, context, setting, situation, is is to make sure that needs are not overlooked within the congregation, is to not hire Superman to be your pastor. It is the body of Christ, we've talked about this for weeks now, one body made up of many members that all of the church lives together using and utilizing their supernatural gifts and callings. So it is all of us together, not just the guy who stands behind the pulpit or those who lead in the singing or those who participate in the serving. It is all of us together, the body of Christ. The New Testament church saw in this moment as needs were growing and changing that prayer and the ministry of the word are worth protecting. That these priorities in the church are worth protecting. And this concept is not too foreign to you. You want me to show you how? Some of you I know, y'all have season tickets to particular football teams who shall remain nameless from my lips. Uh, But y'all have season tickets, right? And you go and you get the schedule early in the year. And I hope you put that schedule on your refrigerator. You put those dates in your calendar, on your phone or whatever it takes. And you prioritize that time because you know it takes a certain amount of time to get there. And you're going to tailgate and you're going to watch the game and you're going to drive home and enjoy all the traffic that comes with it. Or if that's not your thing, maybe you play golf or you have other hobbies or spend time with your wife or your, or your family. And, and these things are priorities for you. 
And I know that because you protect the time that is around them. You protect what you prioritize the most. So the goal in this particular priority was not merely to get these Christians praying or receiving the ministry of the word, but was for the body of Christ together to recognize their priority and to devote themselves to that priority. Why? Because they knew. When God left the church and, and, and left it into the hands of spirit-filled, empowered believers serving and, and utilizing their God-giftedness, they knew that there's power here. But we have to keep it a priority. Charles Finney says this, and I've read this quote in our prayer meeting a few times, nothing tends more to cement the hearts of Christians than praying together. Never do they love one another so well as when they witness the outpouring of each other's hearts in prayer. You see, for the New Testament church, for the body of Christ, there is something unique and special for us when we gather together in prayer. And it is no accident that the it's a temptation for you, right? It is a struggle for you sometimes to, to prioritize the time or, or the commitment, or, or let's just be honest, sometimes it's really, really awkward and all of those things are distractions, I believe, because Satan knows how powerful prayer is. And so what does he not want us to do? He doesn't want us to pray. He doesn't want us to pray together. And I want you to hear me say this loud and clear. I personally, in, in ministry, and sermon preparation, and marriage, listen, I do not have prayer figured out because that's not really something to figure out. It is a posture of the heart. It is a worthy pursuit of who we are and all that we are. But some diagnostic questions could be this. In your heart as a Christian, is prayer your last resort or is it your first work? Is it what you go to when you can't fix it yourself or is it what you go to to fix it? because you know you yourself can't. For us as a church, is prayer for us, is it our last resort or is it our first work? Is it what we go to when the schemes and plans of man fail and we can't figure out how else to do it? Or do we go to it first in order to order our steps? You see, the priority of praying together is not just to bookend ministry activity and prayer. That you walk into the room and you pray and then you pray before you leave and everything else in the middle is good. It's the reality that what you pray at the beginning and at the end frames all that we do in the meantime. That is meant to be an ongoing conversation, an ongoing dialogue between God, our Father, and we, his people. And one of the ways, and you see this too in your own heart and life, one of the ways that priorities become patterns for you is just by regular practice rhythms routines and making sure that you put the proper amount of emphasis around them and that's what we see the new testament church do here that the prayer for them yes it is a priority but it became a priority because of the pattern and rhythm and routine of their life together as a church so secondly that we see the the pattern of praying together because the great temptation is this. The further down the line we get in church history, the more tempted we are 
to consult the history of the church instead of the origin of the church for our power, right? And so what we see in, in, in the Bible is how this whole thing began. And it began in power. And so for us, it is our source that we return to. And the word of God gives us a picture of the pattern of how we should pray together as a church. So what I want to do just for a moment and and go back to Acts chapter 1, we're going to kind of thumb through the first four chapters. And so we want to consider the text that led up to Acts chapter 6. Because what we see in those texts is the early church protecting the priority of prayer by having a healthy pattern of prayer. So we'll begin Acts chapter 1 verse 14. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers, that all of them were gathered in one accord and they were devoting themselves, plural, to prayer. Skip down 10 verses to verse 24 of chapter 1. And they plural, prayed and said, you, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these you two, which one of these two you have chosen. As they were replacing the disciple, they prayed collectively as a church together. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they, plural, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. That they collectively, corporately, as a plural, they devoted themselves to these things. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. To the early church fathers, they were going to pray, to pray together. Acts chapter 4. We're going to read verses 23 through 31 here. I want you to count the number of times we see the word they in this text. Verse 23, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priest and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of the father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly, in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Verse 29, And now, Lord, Look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Verse 30, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Verse 31, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was what? Shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. You see, the picture and pattern here is that they, the entire New Testament church, gathered together to pray together. It was a pattern, a regular routine in in their life and ministry as a church. This pattern is what enabled them when they came to Acts chapter 6. They saw the power of these prayers 
They saw the power of the ministry of the word. And so when it came time to meet these other needs, they realized, no, 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 we have to protect this while also caring for this. It was not an either or strategy. It was a both and strategy that we can protect this. We can continue to make this a priority by having it to be a regular routine in, in who we are as a church and who we are as Christians. And we can also find ways to meet the needs of those within our church. And we could go and trace this through the rest of Acts, that the church, believing in the word and work of God and seeking to harness the power of God in the way that we see in the early church, that that seeking took place was through prayer. That we, when we gather together as the church of the living God, the way that we seek the power of God is in prayer. We don't walk in having it all figured out, We don't walk in feeling good because we have the perfect order of service today and everything went great in Sunday school and you and your wife did not even have a crossword on your way to church this morning. Like we come in to seek the power of God in prayer. It's why we start with prayer. It's why we pray throughout our service. It's why we end in prayer because we believe that is the way in which we harness the power of God in us as a church and we as Christians and in all that we do as a church. So how does this pattern look in your life? What patterns of prayer do you have in your life? I believed when I was a newly growing Christian that the value of my prayer life was the sum of the time I spent in prayer. And so I would wake up every morning and have to pray like this to try and keep my eyes open for a certain amount of time because I thought that was the measure or mark of maturity. But just like it is with your spouse, right? That prayer, that communication is an ongoing thing throughout the day. That is a daily need. It's a moment by moment thing that we seek the Lord for. It's not just what we need first thing in the morning and before we go to bed at night. It's what we need every single moment of our lives. And so the call to pray without ceasing is not to pray 24-7. It's that you weave it into the fabric and pattern of your life. So how does this pattern look in your life? In our church, what is our pattern of prayer? Are we a church that prays or are we a praying church? You see, on paper, the difference between those two things might just be a few letters rearranged. But the power of those things is night and day different. That we as a church have if you will, want to use a modern-day battery illustration, we can choose. Are we going to be driven by a AA battery or are we going to be driven by one of those fancy Tesla batteries that powers cars all across the U.S., right? Like that is the, the, the choice that we make in our prayers. What is powering us? The pattern of our lives as it comes to prayer. So take a moment and, and think in what you are involved with in the life of our church. How would you describe the pattern of prayer in those things? Listen, I'm not here and nor am I going to prescribe a formula for you to follow because we're not after legalism. We're after the lordship of Christ. And so the Lord will will, will, will lead and guide and direct our every step as we seek to make this a true pattern in all that we are, in all that we do. So in your Sunday school classes, in your ministry meetings, in your committee work, in your ministry activities? What's the pattern of prayer in those places? 
Do we seek him at the beginning and end just to feel good about ourselves, or do we seek him every single step of the way? In your pattern of prayer, it's, it's not void of asking God for things. It's not void of that. But listen, God is so much more than what he can give you. Like, if God in your mind is only the sum of all the things that you want him to give you, what a small God that he is. And so when we go to him in prayer, what we're harnessing is the scripture we've read so far. Like, we're harnessing for who he is, for his heart and his mind in all things. We do this corporately. We do this collectively. If you're thinking, I agree that prayer is powerful, Luke, but why can't I just pray on my own? Why do we have to pray together? Well, let's consider these things a both and, not an either or to begin with. But I want to challenge you. Go home, and this week you read through the book of Acts. It's our earliest identity as a church. Now I want you to count the number of times the church prays together versus the number of stories you see of Christians praying alone. Now, we can assume, and we should assume, that those Christians who prayed together were also praying alone. But if you take into account, and I'm not saying this is prescriptive, I think it's descriptive here, but in the book of Acts, depending upon how you would categorize one or two of these stories, like God answers corporate prayers at a seven or eight to one ratio of individual prayers. So that means recorded in the book of Acts, for every one prayer that God answers for an individual, he answers seven or eight for the body of Christ, for the entire church gathering together in prayer. That is fascinating. And again, I'm not assuming that's the only prayers that he answered. I'm saying that's the picture that we see in the book of Acts. And so we need not minimize the pattern of our heart, of our lives, of our church in praying together. Why? Because I think the priority of prayer and the pattern of prayer can lead us into what we see all throughout Scripture, and that is the power of praying together. I believe one of the greatest indictments on our lives and on too many churches is that we lack the belief that God still shakes places and spaces. 1 John chapter 5 says that when we go to God in prayer, he hears us. So when, when you pray, we have a promise that you have the ear of your heavenly father, the one who sent his son for you and the creator of the world. So because that's true, we can go to him in confidence and in belief. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. So we can go to him with confidence because he hears us and we can go to him in faith, knowing that it pleases him. Childlike faith is what the Bible talks about. So what happens when this confidence and faith come together? Let me point you to a story in Acts chapter 12. I'm going to read verses 1 through 11 that I think illustrate the power of us, the body of Christ, praying together. Acts 12, 1 through 11, beginning in verse 1. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. 
And when he seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. Verse 5, so Peter was kept in prison, comma, don't miss this, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with chains and sentries before the Lord, regarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell, and he struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him, and he did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. And when he had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city, and it opened for them of its own accord. And they went out along with, uh, along with one on the street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and all that the Jewish people were expecting. You have Herod, he's persecuting the church. He's killed James. He imprisons Peter. In that moment, the church prayed in desperation. And in that prayer of desperation, God's power was demonstrated. Chains fell off, city gates open, and Peter received this from the Lord and said, Surely I have been delivered by the Lord. You see, there is power when the church comes together in prayer. I said this in the very first sermon that I preached this year. And it, for us, the challenge that we have as New Testament Christians living in America and the times in which we live, I think is, is, is balancing and believing both of these statements, that we believe in God and that we also believe God. That we believe in him and, and who he is, but we believe him and what he does. The Prince of Preachers says it like this, that, that prayer Charles Spurgeon, prayer moves the hand that moves the world. You see, when we go to the Lord in prayer, there, there's great power in those moments. And, and I'm here to say, and I truly do believe that God is going to do what God is going to do. But prayer, individually and corporately, tills the soul of our heart. You see, it gets our heart and our church ready to receive what the Lord is going to give. And you could trace through the entire Bible and see evidence after evidence after evidence of this. You study the Great Awakening. You study great movements of God throughout history. You see evidence after evidence after evidence of this. One of my favorites in 1857, perhaps you've heard of the New York City prayer gatherings. 1857, there was a strong economy. Things were going great in America, but there was a church layman named Jeremiah Lampier. And the Lord placed upon his heart a burden and desire to start a prayer meeting in New York City one day a week 
from 12 until 1. And Jeremiah was convinced of this, so he printed flyers and faithfully placed them every single place that you could put a flyer in New York City. Started at noon, was going to end at 1. And that first week, six people showed up. The historical account says they all showed up 30 minutes late. I thought to myself, they must be members of First Baptist. (laughs) I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Uh, They showed up late, but numbers began to steadily, steadily, steadily grow. They began to meet more and more frequently. And if you know history, you know in 1857, that fall, there was a financial crisis that gripped America. The economy tanked. Within weeks, that prayer meeting grew to 50,000 people meeting daily. Not once a week, daily, in New York City to pray from 12 to 1. And those prayer gatherings in New York City began to spread across every major city in the U.S. at the time. And at its very height, it is believed that one million people gathered weekly in prayer together out of a population of 30 million Americans. At the very climax of this movement of God, it was estimated there was 50,000 people coming to faith in Jesus week after week after week after week through these prayer gatherings. All because Jeremiah Lampier heard the voice of God and believed the power of praying together. Listen, I'm not here to say that this is a formula that we should follow, that this is a recipe that can guarantee a perfect delivery. But what I am here to say, God may or may not choose to do this again in this particular way. But one thing that has not changed is the power of God and God's desire to unleash his power to his people through the truth of his word as we become dependent upon him in prayer. And so the question for you this morning is this, what are you believing God to do that only he can do? What are we as a church, collectively, corporately, believing God to do that only he can do? We've started this beautiful exercise in our Wednesday evening prayer service of praying what we call him possible prayers, that unless God intervenes, that this situation in my life is truly impossible. And so we have a pretty good stack, about that thick now, of him possible prayers that we've prayed in staff meetings, we've prayed in, in, in our prayer services, some of our Sunday school classes have prayed over them, some of our church members have taken them home and prayed over them, believing and expecting God to do what only he can do. But let's not believe the lie that prayer is a substitute for obedience. They work together. Read the New Testament. They work together. Perhaps you remember that time in school when you prayed to God that he would give you a hundred on a test that you never studied for. I take those chuckles as signs of confession before the Lord. <laughs> right, we go to God and we pray, God, would you deliver me from this? But I didn't make it a priority to, to study. Or you've heard the old adage, right? As long as there are tests in schools, no one can take prayer out of them. <laughs> right? And so we see in, in the heart here of the New Testament, is like we can't just like, oh man, I, 
I blew it. I, I'm, I'm not going to walk in accordance to the will of God and expect God to be my cosmic genie that I'm just going to rub the lamp and he's going to step in and, and save the day for me. That's not how this works. Like the prayer is the overflow of a heart that's captivated by him and that lives in obedience to him. And yes, these things are, are messy, but the hope of Scripture is that God brings all of this together and praying together for us is seeking God as God. It's the daily rhythm and routine and reminder that he is Lord and he is Lord of all. So you see, in the book of Acts, the early church is a model for us to make this a priority, to make this a pattern that we can seek the power of God together. Because praying together is a weapon to combat individualism, pride, and selfishness. Billy Graham said, you cannot pray with someone or for someone and hate them at the same time. So you see, prayer for us is the means by which we love one another. Listen, and when it comes to prayer, I heard a pastor say this week, when it comes to prayer, I'm not a salesman. I'm a satisfied customer. And I don't go to him as much as I should. And I don't live into this as much as I should. But what we see in the heart of the Christian is the heart of the Christian desires this individually and desires this corporately. And I promise you, my sermon today is not an arm twist application for you to show up on Wednesday night, although I think you should. I think you should. My argument, what I see in the context of Scripture is this, that prayer is not a component of what we do in church. It is the cornerstone of all that we do in church. And for us as the church to come before him and come before him together, we can live into the pattern and priority of prayer that we see in Scripture and truly expect, truly expect to see the power of God at work in us and through us because that is what God has done and what God promises to do. This morning, by way of invitation, it's important to know and to say that you cannot pray to a God that you do not know. But the good news is this, that God desires to know you, that he sent his son for you to live a life that you could never live and to die a death that you deserve to die so that he could take the penalty for your sin. He took the punishment for your sin so that you could be adopted into his family. And when we are in his family, he is our heavenly father who delights to give good gifts to his children who ask. You can live in that relationship today by turning from your sin and yourself and turning to Jesus because he sent his son to make forgiveness possible and to make right relationship with him possible. For those of us who've made that decision, the call for our hearts and our lives is to go to him in prayer, to be the cornerstone for all that we are and all that we do. Because as one New Testament scholar says, to abandon prayer is to practice atheism. So we need to voice our dependence upon him in prayer. And we go to him in priority it's a pattern, seeking his power. Some of you may have heard the story of Moses Hall. Moses was an African-Jamaican pastor in the mid-1800s. He was leading a, a movement of African Christians that were enslaved in Jamaica. And one of the things that they would do regularly, they would gather together to pray. 
African Christians enslaved against their will on this tiny little island would gather together and have these prayer meetings. But these prayer meetings soon became outlawed by their masters. They were unfamiliar to them. They were scared of them. They didn't know what was going on. And so they just outlawed them and said, you can't do that anymore. One attempt to stop such prayer meetings, some slave owners walked into one of these prayer gatherings that was being led by one of the servants of the church named David. He was one of Moses Hall's assistants. They seized David. They took David. They killed him. They cut off his head, put it on a stake in the middle of the city as a spectacle to try and get these Christians to stop praying together. So they went and seized Moses Hall. They drug him into the city and said, look, we said stop. And we mean stop. And if you don't stop these prayer gatherings, we will do to you as we have done to David. And as the crowd watched, Moses Hall got on his knees, arms stretched out, said, let us pray. And in the crowd, the African Christians all knelt to their knees and prayed for forgiveness for the ones that had murdered their fellow church member, their brother in Christ. And you see, church, if we want to see a movement of God, like the church has seen, like the Bible tells, we must be a church of prayer. And we must be committed to it as a priority over all things in our hearts and lives and in our worship. We must be committed to it as a pattern and routine of all that we are because it is the means by which we see and receive the power of God. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, may we never take for granted the opportunity that we have to come before you in prayer. God, as individual Christians, as a church of the living God, we have an opportunity to speak into the ear of our Father. Lord, I know that your word tells us you desire to work in us, through us, among us, to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine throughout all generations. And Father, the way in which we live in right relationship with that God is through prayer. So for us, God, may it be a cornerstone of all that we are that we can go to you and to seek you. Believing the promises of Scripture and believing that you are a God who makes all things new. So God, day in, day out, moment in and moment out, God, would you make this new in us and among us, we pray. Lord, as we respond to you, our desire is for you to speak to us, to live in right relationship with us. And that's why we enter into this dialogue of prayer, not a monologue of prayer, God, a dialogue of prayer. So God, here we are. We offer you all that we are. So God, move as we respond. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.